Welcome back to our third installment here of the culture in the classical era empires. This time we're going to look at China and uh, the Han and Qin dynasty, more specifically the Han dynasty that was guided by Confucianism. So um, we're going to take a look at that, go through the social hierarchies, and then we're going to go into kind of gender expectations, and uh, that's going to kind of bring us to an end on this one. Uh, but the, the main focus will be talking about how Confucianism guided the society, although um, when the dynasties fall apart, Confucianism kind of falls to the leeway or falls to the side, and you get uh, more Taoist ideas coming through. And so we'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, but starting off, we're going to start at the, the top. The, the highest level of society is going to be the bureaucracy or the bureaucrats, the people that run the government. And uh, these are the elite of the elite. Now, anyone could be a part of this. Uh, anyone could join the bureaucracy. But to do it, you had to be a highly skilled person, um, a, a very smart person, and someone that knew Confucius's teachings in the Analects. Uh, you would go through an academy, um, get a, get an education, uh, which makes it a pretty much an elite thing because they can only afford the education. And then you would take a test to see if you could make it. People would study their whole lives for this thing and 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 fail. Um, I mean, you can think of it like taking the ACT, SAT, the AP test we're going to take at the end of this course and, and ratchet it up like a, a hundred times, a thousand times. Uh, very stressful uh, environment, very tough to do, um, and you have to be able to dedicate yourself to your studies. So um, mostly it's in elites that can do it. The poor people couldn't fund their kids doing education. They needed them in the fields. But uh, if an elite saw someone had a promising um, educational standing, they were, they were pretty smart, they, they seemed like they could handle it. Um, they might sponsor them through it. Now, that person would then probably be in debt for them for the rest of their, their life in some way. So um, don't know exactly what would happen there, but you, you'd expect some type of return on that investment that you're doing. And that leads to a lot of corruption in, in the system because it's mostly elites and they're going to look out for them themselves. So um, that's the top level. But under them, then you have um, the landlords, and most of these bureaucrats were were those from this class. Um, uh, going back to the bureaucrats, just for one second, you would have seen there also that the bureaucrats uh, get some special privileges because of their high ranking and status. Uh, they have uh, different clothes that they're going to wear. They they have carriages to go around in. Um, they they get special treatment over everyone else. Uh, the landlords, on the other hand, are, are high ranking members of society that do have their own privileges over the peasants and stuff like that. They live a much more comfy life, um, but. Their main thing is they own the land that the peasants use, and so that's how they get their control, that's how they get their money, and they get taxes uh, for letting the peasants use that land. Um, now, uh, one Chinese official, Wang Meng, tried to change this. Uh, if you saw that in the reading, he uh, interrupted the Han Dynasty for about uh, 14 years and tried to bring it back to peasant control or, or help the peasants out and, and put the landlords down a couple pegs. Um, but uh, he failed. He gets assassinated, and then we go back to the the Han Dynasty. Um, and uh, these guys in the in, in the landlords uh, caste or not caste, but class were were well educated. Um, they have a lot of luxuries. They they're the ones that wear silk around. They have um, huge homes. Uh, again, they get a ride in carriages and stuff. They can they can gamble. They can do all the the kind of fun things in society. And there's nothing really holding them back. Uh, the only people above them are those bureaucrats and, of course, the emperor himself. Um, now, when society starts to fall apart, these guys then kind of take over as the de facto leaders in their region, whether it's their local area or if they're a, a more powerful landlord or lord, uh, they might have a whole region under their control. 
um, and control that. So we see it kind of go into a feudal structure where there is no central state and a bunch of individual small states throughout, uh, like we'll see in the Middle Ages when we get to, to that next unit in Europe. Now, the, the next class uh, that's below that is the peasants. They're the majority of the population. Um, they will all live in one kind of small home. Not, not all the peasants in, the, in China lived in one, but your whole family would live in, it, live in it. And it'd be more than just like the nuclear family that we think of here in the U.S. It'd be going back generations. So you might be living with your grandparents and your great-grandparents, if they're still around, um, you kind of you stick around in that home um, because you're all working the land together and, and, and living together, pulling your resources. Uh, they, they're the most vulnerable ones to any, any uh, disasters that happen. And um, <coughs> a lot of the times they, they lose their land. They have to give it up to the landlords because they can't pay the rent and other things like that. Um, and so then, because uh, there isn't really slavery in China, uh, there's forced labor. So if you can't pay your taxes, you can do forced labor, which would be uh, when we're talking about the Qin Dynasty working on the walls, uh, doing public works projects, things like that. Um, but um, there isn't slavery. So what would happen is you become a tenant farmer uh, and you'd have to give up uh, a certain amount of your crops to the landlord that you are renting from. Um, when conditions get bad, that leads then the peasants to rise up. They realize, hey, they've got the numbers and we're going to rise up and, and change things. And so that's when you have the Yellow Turban Rebellion in uh, the end of the Han Dynasty. And um, they kind of push against the cultural norms. They push against Confucianism and, and kind of really say, hey, you know what? This isn't working. The system's falling apart. The, the emperors aren't taking care of us. They've lost the mandate of heaven. We're getting rid of this. And they end the Han Dynasty. Um, and then uh, it, it kind of goes out from there. So <clears throat> you have that. You have the, the rebellions that happen against the Qin Dynasty as well. The, the peasants were the main ones rising up. And actually the Han, the first Han emperor was a peasant. Uh, one of the few times in history that you actually see that happening of a, a poor person rising to the highest person in society. Um, the, uh, the one thing I should say, though, with the Yellow Turban Rebellion is uh, it wasn't successful, but because of the damage it did, it, it led to the dynasty eventually collapsing. Um, then... Moving on away from social classes, I guess actually one final thing to go into. Uh, the book didn't cover this too much. Uh, we talked about it in the Confucian uh, lecture, uh, but um, the lowest rung of society are the merchants. Um, skilled laborers would be under under the peasants, um, so people working in skilled crafts. Um, they're under the peasants. Then you got the merchants as the lowest one because they just repurpose or, or take what people have made and sell it for a higher profit. Uh, soldiers would be somewhere uh, probably above the peasants, and they'd live a little bit better life. Um, but a lot of times, uh, your peasants were your soldiers. They were the conscripts in the army and stuff like that. So um, moving on to patriarchy, uh, you we talked about the yin and yang with Taoism, and, and you kind of have that idea that um, that represents the gender. Uh, yang was for male, and uh, yin was for the females. And the, the kind of one of the main phrases, one of the main ideas, a, a quote from Confucius here was that the men go out, women stay in. So ladies, you're expected to stay in the home, do the work in the home, run that stuff. Uh, listen to your husband and your eldest son if your husband dies, because that's the ways of Confucianism with the patriarchy there. Uh, they follow a similar filial piety or they follow filial piety. And, and that's similar to what we see in Rome as well. Um, and, um, there are only a few exceptions to where we see women rising up out of that status of being relegated to the home and having to be under their, their husband or eldest son. Uh, Ban Zhao is an example. Uh, she was a female court uh, official that rose the ranks there. 
uh, that would have been very, very, very rare to, to overcome those circumstances. And uh, the other one we'll see when we get to the Tang Dynasty, which is actually really next unit, but they bring her up here, and that's Empress Wu. She is the only female uh, emperor in China. Uh, some ruled a little bit through their, their children as regent and stuff like that, but uh, she is the only one to outright actually rule China, uh, and she used the, the ideas of Buddhism to uh, really come over that stuff. Uh, but um, we don't really see much other than Ban Zhao and, and Wu, or Empress Wu, really doing a lot. Um, in, in the uh, elite sphere, women, again, like we saw in Rome, have more rights, have more flexibility to do things. Um, they, they can uh, get a little bit more political power, influence their husbands and stuff. Confucianism usually uh, frowned upon that uh, and would blame it for collapses. Uh, while if you're in the poor part um, or poor part of society, you were expected to help the husband in the fields and, and work in the fields until uh, you couldn't work in them anymore. Uh, so if you were having a kid or something like that, you, you would then be taken out of the fields. Um, what else? Uh, for, for you to get uh, to be an honorable woman, um, one, you had to always listen to that husband or that older man in your life or the, the, the man that you're supposed to listen to. And then as well, if you produce sons. So if you give birth to sons, you're going to be uh, held up in higher um, status. And uh, one kind of unique thing here with women is they could make their money on their own by selling textiles. A lot of that was silk, either making the silk or then making the silk into, into fabric and, and designs. And uh, the dowry that she would receive for being married or that her, her father would give to her husband uh, in the marriage was actually still viewed as her own property. So if there was a divorce that happened, which was rare because uh, it was kind of against the ideas of Confucianism, but... Um, they could, they would have that to live off of then. Um, we see this eventually change. Uh, again, when the dynasties fall, when the dynasties fall, women rise up in, in rank and there's more equality there. Is it truly equal? No. Uh, but we see it definitely when the nomadic peoples come in, which uh, is a common theme throughout history in the nomadic cultures. Women are valued more than men or not valued more, but valued closer to equal than their counterparts in, in agricultural societies. So, uh, they bring in that, and we'll see that with the, the Tang and the Sui. Uh, we'll raise women up a little bit more than what their previous dynasties have done. And then we'll see that really happen with the Yuan dynasty. Uh, but that's all in Unit 3, so we'll eventually get there to that stuff. Uh, and that's that's most everything there. Uh, the one thing that really helps to, to end on is that helps undermine the patriarchy is Taoism because uh, it calls for the, kind of that equality with that yin and yang. And, um, and Buddhism also helps out with that to undermine that. So when the dynasties again go down, there's more equality between the genders with men still taking most of the role, but, or, or most of the power. But, uh, when the dynasties come back, usually men start to, to pick up and, and you see the patriarchy more and more. So that's China in a nutshell. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here uh, in the next one with uh, Buddhism, or not Buddhism and Hinduism, but uh, with India, where we're going to see those affecting the society.